I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ukrainians will win. Slava Ukraine, Heroim Slava. Ukrainians will win because they are 200% motivated. Hello, welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall at The Spectator. Uh, today I'm joined by Russian writer, journalist and musicologist and author Artemy Troitsky. Artemy uh, wrote one book back in the USSR which I cited recently for an article on Barry Weiss's Common Sense Substack. He's someone I've been reading for um, several years now and so this is a real great pleasure. Welcome Artemy. Glad, glad to do an interview with a famous magazine. <laughs> well, in normal circumstances, I'd love to discuss your books and, and, and your writing. I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in Russian history and you, you've documented uh, sort of Russian rock music and youth culture in, in, a, in a way I think no one else has. Uh, but um, of course, four days ago, war broke out between Russia and Ukraine. So it sort of feels like that stuff will have to wait, certainly for now, and uh, I'm kind of keen to ask you uh, for a Russian perspective on what's going on, and I guess your perspective may be different from a typical Russian perspective. Perhaps there's, uh, uh, that difference is something you could, you could explain, but certainly uh, here in Britain we're getting a lot of the anti-Russian side, very pro-Ukraine as well as pro-peace, but perhaps you can inform us to what it looks like from the other side or what it looks like in your eyes. Well, I think that all the sane people of the world are on one side and uh, the, those who are on the other side of the global barricades are lunatics uh, and people who feel no responsibility for the future at all. Indeed, in Russia, we have uh, plenty of crazy people uh, who are totally intoxicated, uh, tainted by militaristic, uh, imperialist, chauvinistic, nationalistic viruses. And uh, yes, these people, uh, they are bloodthirsty and they want Ukraine to be a protectorate of Russia. And generally speaking, uh, you know, as Boris Johnson said recently, quite justly, uh, they want to restore the Russian Empire or the Soviet Union. They want, uh, you know, to spread their influence to all Slavic nations and so on. And this indeed is absolutely insane. I'm just very, very sorry that such a tragedy has happened in our lifetime in the 21st century, because uh, I honestly thought that uh, such uh, things uh, have uh, remained somewhere in, uh, in the horrible past. You know, in, uh, in the 30s and the 40s of the 20th century and in the dark ages. But unfortunately, unfortunately, this is what's happening right now. And, and I'm truly ashamed I'm very ashamed of all these. And uh, well, of course, uh, I think that everyone understands that uh, Putin is not Russia. Putin is a, uh, is a crazy dictator, aggressive and ruthless, who already put Russia on the brink of confrontation with the whole rest of the world. 
And uh, this is not uh, the ideology that all Russians share. Uh, the sociological uh, polls, uh, they show a rather, rather grim picture. I mean, just, the, just before the, uh, the Russian invasion to the Ukraine, CNN, the American TV company, they've conducted a poll in Russia, which showed the, the following results. 50%, well, half of the Russians, they do support Putin's uh, attitude towards Ukraine. 25% strongly oppose it. And another 25% uh, kind of don't care about it. And this is a very gloomy picture. I mean, I, I didn't expect that so many Russians uh, would uh, support this insanity. But, uh, you know, the sad fact is that this is approximately so. I think this number will decrease very soon. I think it's already decreasing because, A, it's obvious that uh, there's no blitzkrieg, that this is not a small victorious war that Putin uh, hoped for. And Ukrainians, they fight uh, like real heroes. And it does send a certain message to Russian population as well. And second, I think that after all the sanctions uh, that's been imposed on Russia in the past uh, couple of days, I'm pretty sure that today, on Monday, it will be very, very grim, uh, totally panicky situation at the Russian financial markets and ruble will fall deep and uh, people will... Uh, uh, well, actually, they already are queuing uh, to banks, queuing to supermarkets. And I think that starting from today, it will be real panic, which indeed will also affect uh, Putin's popularity and uh, will decrease the support of military adventure in Ukraine. So if 50% of Russians now, as you cite that CNN poll, do support Putin's behavior and actions, what about it is, is it that they support? Do they agree in his speech last week, he talks about his grievances with NATO, with the Minsk Accords. Do they agree with that side of things? And what, what about it is resonating? Or is there, uh, why is it so? Because 50% is a very popular, that would be very popular pro-war uh, for any nation. So what, what, what is the mindset of those people who support uh, Putin now? Well, I think, I think it's a combination of various factors, both very traditional, uh, because a lot of Russians, they do believe in the Russia, and a lot of Russians are hugely nostalgic for the Soviet Union. And they want their country uh, to be and to feel like a superpower, as a superpower that the, the rest of the world uh, uh, is afraid of and, and, and have a kind of slavish respect uh, for. So this is, uh, well, I think it's uh, something like a, a psychic complex or, or whatever, but a lot of people in Russia, they suffer from that. It's one thing, and another thing indeed is uh, the propaganda, which worked for many, many years trying to convince Russians that Ukrainians are Nazis, 
that Ukrainians and NATO and Americans and uh, more recently, uh, the, uh, there was a new label for enemies, Anglo-Saxons, Russian propaganda. They tried to kind of separate Europe, you know, the Germans, the French, the Italians, who are, of course, you know, very weak and uh, kind of miserable, but they are not so bad. But then there are Anglo-Saxons, Americans and Brits, uh, who are the real, the hardcore enemies of the Russian nation. And this propaganda, indeed, uh, you know, if you see it on TV screen every bloody day of your life, then, uh, then indeed, you know, something starts uh, to happen in your brains, even, uh, even if you are not uh, very stupid. So a combination, a combination of old complexes and old traumas, like indeed uh, Russia was defeated in the Cold War, and this was not such a long time ago. So a combination of all these uh, affected the Russian psyche. It's a very sad story, and I think it will take uh, some time to cure this mental illness. Yeah, you, in one of your uh, chapters in Subcultura, you write about the conflict in 2014 and you, you sort of write, write despairingly that there was no anti-war movement at that time in Russia. On the contrary, there was more of a pro-war and you, and you had extremist factions who wanted to support the conflict at that time. So is there, a, I mean, there's some images we're seeing now of protests in uh, Moscow against the war. They don't look huge, but there are also numbers of, uh, I think, several thousand who have been arrested in the anti-war. What does, what does it look like to, to resist in, in Russia today? Who, who is, are there, is there more resistance now than there was in 2014? What do people risk by uh, speaking out on this issue and generally on Putin for those who were not supportive? <clears throat> Okay, well, uh, there are several points. Point number one, and it's a very sad story, uh, the organized resistance, the organized opposition in Russia has been almost totally destroyed by Putin's uh, forces. You know that Alexei Navalny and, and others uh, are in the jail. Those who are not in jail were uh, forced to escape from the country, like me. Well, I wouldn't say that I was forced. I, I, I fled Russia in 2014, you know, before, you know, the real horror uh, started. But uh, a lot of people were forced to leave the country. This, uh, of course, makes the opposition to Putin's regime very kind of disorganized and chaotic. Another thing is that uh, the regime is, is really kind of, how do you call it, uh, is uh, tightening the screws. They're tightening the screws. I mean, uh, you know, I was a participant in, in many anti-establishment uh, rallies in, in 2010, in 2011, 2012. I was speaking uh, there at these uh, huge manifestations in Balotna Square and Sakharov Avenue and so on. And then it was, uh, it was massive. Then, of course, some things have happened. In 2014, 
Putin has made uh, some success with his ratings and uh, his uh, increased his support with uh, this stealing of uh, Crimean Peninsula. Well, I think it was a matter of pure unlawful robbery. You know, it just annexed uh, a big piece of another country. But unfortunately, very, very many Russians, uh, they've perceived it as, you know, the small victorious war, as Russia's triumph, as Russia is reclaiming its past glories and and so on. So the whole uh, anti-Putin movement uh, went downhill for some time. Then we've had more and more protests in 2018 and 2019. Then the authorities, they started, uh, you know, really to behave like fascists. I think that Russia, generally speaking, you know, uh, I think all people in the UK and elsewhere must understand that Russia right now is a true uh, full-time, full-scale, bona fide fascist country. It is a fascist country and no question about it. And the Russian version of the contemporary Russian version of fascism is much harder than the one of uh, Franco or Salazar because, uh, you know, just like Hitler and Stalin, Putin's fascism is also very much about expansion, about aggression outside of the country. It's not just oppressing local opposition and, 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 and keeping dictatorships safe. It's also about outer interventions, just like the 30s, Hitler and Stalin, you know, and this is scary. This is really scary. And everyone, everyone must understand this. And indeed, in a fascist country now, it is very dangerous to speak out against the regime, very dangerous uh, to go out in the streets with anti-government slogans. Uh, You know, I really think that all those people in Russia, and there are thousands of them, who protest against uh, the war with Ukraine right now, they're very brave. They're very brave. It's a great uh, adventure uh, for for those uh, who look for freedom and who uh, long for uh, for human dignity and uh, and political democracy. Hmm. I mean, testament to your description of modern day Russia being fascist is that, uh, and you describe in, in your book back in the USSR, how you yourself were blacklisted in the Soviet Union for uh, writing at, at that time, but it wasn't until Putin's era that you f- felt like you had to flee your country. And uh, that's pretty shocking. And I know you're very outspoken on Putin. And is that something that you are free to do because you're not in Russia? Or were you outspoken against him whilst you were still there? What, has, that, has that changed? Okay, well, uh, you know, I have uh, a long case history of, of being an opponent uh, to the existing uh, uh, establishment. I mean, in the 70s and the 80s, in the Brezhnev's time, you know, in the times of uh, the agonizing Cold War, I was also blacklisted. I was a well-known journalist, music journalist, rock journalist, 
at that time uh, already, but I was blacklisted from everywhere in Russia for maybe two or three years between 1983 and 1985. But I must say that uh, comparing uh, to the current Putin's regime, the Brezhnev's times vegetarian. I mean, I was blacklisted, so I, uh, but it did mean that, you know, I've had searches at my flat or that I've been detained or I've been uh, inquired at the KGB and so on. I mean, you know, they simply put halt on my professional activities, uh, which of course was not very nice and I didn't have money at all uh, and survived uh, mostly thanks to my parents and my friends. But it wasn't that scary. And at the same time, I've been organizing all those underground concerts and wrote for Samis Dat magazines and so on. So I do remember these times, you know, with great, uh, <laughs> with great affection because it was a real underground adventure. Right now, the consequences of uh, any kind of uh, non-loyal activity could be much, much worse. And we see it, you know, People get uh, to jail, uh, people are sent to prison camps, uh, people are detained for no reason at all, and uh, that's much, much worse. What was, the, what was the final straw for you to leave the country? The main motivation for us, for my whole family, to leave the country were my children. Because... Uh, in 2014, when uh, all those things with the Crimea and Donbass started to happen, and the militaristic and chauvinistic and imperialist propaganda was everywhere, I simply, well, me and my wife, we both thought that this is not, uh, you know, the kind of atmosphere, this is not, you know, the, the paradigm where we would like our children uh, to live. Uh, we don't want them to become uh, uh, Putin's young guards or something. We don't want them to be brainwashed at school and even uh, at the kindergarten. I mean, for me, it was really shocking when uh, Lydia, our youngest daughter, once came home from kindergarten and started to tell us something about Ukrainian fascists who want to invade Russia. And we asked her, oh, where, where did you hear this rubbish? And she said, well, our teacher, you know, our kindergarten, uh, she told us so. And I thought that, you know, this is definitely not, uh, not the way we want it. So this was, uh, this was the main reason. Because if I was alone, I could stay in Russia and, and fight there. And, uh, well, thank God I've been doing this uh, for many, many years when in the Soviet Union. But uh, feeling uh, responsible for, uh, for our kids, uh, we, decided, uh, we decided not to take risks and, uh, and let them grow in a more... Uh, safe, uh, free, and stable uh, circumstances. 
Well, and, and it seems from my following you that you, you're, you're mounting a good resistance even whilst not in the country. What voices in, in the country should we be listening to now? Are there leaders, you think, in the resistance, uh, whether cult culturally speaking or politically, that gives you any uh, sort of hope from within? Uh, well, uh, there is one uh, big political authority in Russian opposition, and this indeed is Alexei Navalny. And I fully support him. I think that he really is a very strong, charismatic and good willing guy, no matter how the propaganda wants uh, to blackmouth him. He's a great person and a very strong and brave one. Uh, we have several other interesting and visible political figures in Russia, like uh, Yevgeny Roisman uh, in Ekaterinburg or Ilya Yashin in Moscow, but uh, there are not very many. A lot of politicians have, uh, uh, well, they've been forced to, to emigrate and they are now everywhere in Bulgaria, in Georgia, in Berlin, in Prague, and so on. Also in the Baltic states, like in Tallinn, in Estonia, where we live now, there's uh, several uh, political uh, uh, refugees as well. So these are the political voices, uh, but uh, you know the problem with political voices is that they can't get united into one choir, because you know some are here, some are there, and and many are simply behind bars, which makes it very difficult for them to act. Then there are cultural voices, and here I must say that we have huge advantage over Putin's supporters. I mean, those who support Putin are either kind of very dark and uh, uneducated people, or there are some people, including some cultural figures, uh, who simply have been bought, they've been corrupted by the regime, they make a lot of money, they have plenty of privileges, they do what they want, so they enjoy enjoy the same, the same kind of posh lifestyle as uh, the so-called Russian oligarchs and so on. Uh, and, you know, these, uh, these people are the, uh, uh, the propaganda mouthpieces uh, for Putin. And uh, here I mean such uh, personalities like... Uh, Nikita Mikhalkov, a uh, well-known film director, or Valery Gergiev, uh, a classical conductor, and some other uh, people, but not so many of them, luckily. I mean, if you look at uh, Russian writers, Russian composers, Russian uh, theater directors, and so on, then uh, you can easily see that uh, they are all opposing the regime and it became absolutely obvious and very visible right now when uh, there are dozens of uh, letters against uh, the war and proclamations against the war signed by many cultural authorities, scientific uh, authorities, uh, you know, all kinds of humanitarian uh, big shots of Russia.
And uh, this, of course, is, is very impressive. And this is one of the reasons uh, for moderate optimism uh, when considering uh, the general situation. So how do you foresee things now uh, going forward? What Do you have a, a, a forecast or, or uh, do, you, do you have a, an idea of how this plays out over the coming days or, or, or beyond? Well, you know, I've already, I've already failed with one uh, of my forecasts. So, uh, which was, and therefore, and therefore, I wouldn't like to exploit my <laughs> Cassandra complex. Uh, I didn't believe uh, that Putin will invade Ukraine because, uh, among other things, Putin is a coward he was always behaving very cowardly. He always uh, went to fight with those who are much weaker than him and who are in a kind of underprivileged position. So this was uh, the story of uh, the Russian opposition. This was the story with invasion of Georgia in 2008. This was the story of Crimea. Uh, which was simply stolen from a uh, revolutionary but totally kind of anarchic Ukraine uh, in 2014. So I thought that he will calculate the risks, uh, calculate, weight uh, the, the pros and contras, and decide not to take this step. But he did it. And I think it was a combination of two factors. First is that he really became quite insane. And that's not surprising. I mean, if a, a, a mediocre personality like Putin, you know, who looks like shit, who's not charismatic, who is not especially smart and so on, but he has unlimited power, unlimited money, total uh, unpunishedness, and, uh, you know, uh, a perspective of ruling a huge country for another 10 or 12 or 15 years. Indeed, you know, this sometimes goes to your head and you, and you can uh, <laughs> uh, mentally mutate a little bit. So this is one thing, and I do agree with all those, and there's uh, more and more of such people who think that, uh, that Putin is men uh, mentally unstable. He's, he's a psychopath. This is one reason. And another reason is that uh, this I didn't know, but apparently this is also so, that he was totally misinformed by his... Uh, uh, assistance by the Ministry of Defense, by the FSB, you know, the secret police and, and the foreign ministry and so on. He was totally disinformed about the real situation in the Ukraine. He's been told that Ukrainians, that uh, Ukrainian people are waiting for the Russian army as uh, liberators and they will greet them with flowers and national uh, pies, that Ukrainian army will surrender immediately because they won't fight for the uh, Ukrainian government, who everyone hates. So uh, they thought that it would be a very easy thing, swallowing uh, and kneeling Ukraine. But obviously, every, uh, the reality was... <laughs> Uh, was far from that. And I 
I couldn't imagine uh, that uh, that Russian intelligence will be so incompetent in uh, uh, considering and judging uh, the situation. So Putin has done this, and I think that now uh, the perspectives for Russia are. Well, on one hand, they are very gloomy. On the other hand, they are uh, quite bright. I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ukrainians will win. Slava Ukraine, Geroim Slava. Ukrainians will win because they are 200% motivated, very motivated, very strong. Uh, their moral determination is absolutely maximal. And this alone makes them uh, winners of this gamble. And uh, what will happen next is, well, there are, uh, there are two options. Option number one is that after defeat in the Ukraine, Putin will go back into this Russian shell and organize complete hell in Russia. It will be a full revision of Stalinism in the 30s. Absolute terror, uh, Iron Curtain and uh, total darkness. And uh, nobody knows how long this will last. It all depends on, uh, you know, on too many things. You know, this is uh, option number one. And the optimistic option is uh, uh, that uh, like it has already happened in, in Russia more than once, this has happened after the defeat in the Crimean War with Britain and other countries in the 19th century. This also has happened after the defeat in the World War I in, in 1917, that uh, the military defeat and humiliation of the country and the nation will lead uh, to revolution and uh, complete, complete change of uh, power in the country. This is, uh, this is also possible. Of course, it, it, it can happen in, in various ways. Not necessarily it will be a fully democratic revolution. It could be something else, but it will definitely mean uh, end uh, to Putin. And finishing Putin will be a huge gift for both Russia and the rest of the world. Indeed. Do you, do you think there's any angle where he, where Putin gets uh, what he wants on NATO, what he wants on the Minsk Accords, and it, there's a sort of in between for the for the the two propositions you just made? Is there a, it's sort of a negotiation in the middle at all, or, or a kind of? compromise at all or, or, or do you, you don't do you, would you rule that out as a possibility no well i i think that the only good thing the only useful thing that uh, the world has learned from uh, the current crisis from the current uh, war is that there can be compromise with vladimir putin vladimir putin is absolutely untrustworthy he lies all the time. 
he never holds uh, his words. He is uh, absolutely unnegotiable. And uh, I think that this was something that many Western politicians have had illusions of, especially like the French, you know, Macron, who kept uh, talking and talking and visiting, or the Germans and so on. They all hoped that, you know, they can speak with Putin as, as a normal person. Now it's absolutely clear that uh, Putin is not a normal person. And uh, any kinds of talks or negotiations with him is hopeless. It's as uh, silly as playing cards uh, with a cheater. Hmm. Um, it sort of sounds like uh, the 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 this my his sort of ego, his ego is getting the better of him at this sort of end of his time, and and it's there's a bit of blaze of glory trying to get as much as he can before it's over, and that that sort of seems to be a little bit of what you've described in his 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 egomaniac approach to it all. Well. Thank you, Artemy, so much for your time. And um, it's been rather a gloomy conversation, uh, understandably, because it's such a horrible time. But as I said before, I, I'm a great admirer of your writing and uh, certainly recommend uh, Back in the USSR and Subcultura to viewers and listeners. But uh, is there anything else we can look forward to from you? Uh, uh, any, any planned writings? Where can viewers and um, listeners follow you, find you? Well, I can tell you that I'm not planning any serious writing. I mean, I became a part-time political columnist and a part-time radio DJ. I have a weekly one-hour-long uh, radio show on Radio Liberty, and I still uh, love modern music, and I play a lot of it, uh, including many, many new and uh, very inspiring British bands. Like I think, I think that the British rock uh, and generally music scene now is, uh, is very uh, lively and interesting. I think there is some kind of renaissance. I like the bands like say, Black Country, New Road uh, or Dry Cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of fantastic new young bands. Uh, in the UK and elsewhere. So I feel very happy as a music uh, observer and, and radio DJ. And it's a pity that a very good friend of mine, John Peel, hasn't uh, lived up to these times. I'm sure that he also would be quite excited about the, uh, the current state of the scene. So this is what I do now, but uh, you know, Books, uh, books is big work that requires lots of uh, free time and also lots of inspiration. And uh, right now it's rather other things that inspire me and, uh, and they lay in the field of politics mostly. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Artemy Troitsky, thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, I'm sure uh, the listeners will have been fascinated by that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Goodbye all and Slava Ukraini, glory to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the victory sign made famous by Winston Churchill. We will win. 